Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. Welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. Of course, in the last week, we saw the Reserve Bank leave interest rates on hold yet again for the fourth month in a row. And this, of course, is occurring against a backdrop of increasing uncertainty, particularly in relation to developments in the US and ongoing risks around China. But first, let's have a look at the Reserve Bank. Going into this week's meeting, there was a lot of anticipation because we were going to see new Governor Michelle Bullock take over from retiring Governor Philip Lowe. And of course, we also saw a week ago a spike in inflation for August. As it turned out, the new governor made very little changes. In fact, when you read the post-meeting statement that they put out after each meeting, it was very similar to what Governor Lowe had put out a month ago, except updating for recent inflation and growth data. And likewise, that surge in inflation didn't cause a lot of concern at the Reserve Bank. In fact, we didn't think it would. So as a result, the Reserve Bank left interest rates on hold at 4.1%, which was pretty much in line with the market consensus and, of course, our own views. That pause in interest rates over the last four months comes after the biggest interest rate hiking cycle of 400 basis points over 14 months since the late 1980s. And, of course, that preceded the early 1990s recession. The risks now are much greater because household debt levels are three times greater relative to people's income than was the case in the late 1980s. So a lot more risk this time around. In fact, the rise in interest rates that we've seen over the last 18 months has taken rates, mortgage rates, back to where they were last in 2011. And for someone on a fixed rate, say a couple of years ago, they might have locked in for a couple of years on 2%. They're now rolling over to either variable or fixed rates, which are at least three times higher than they were when they originally took out that mortgage. Now, of course, the Reserve Bank noted yet again that interest rates have already been increased substantially by 4%. Interest rates are working to establish a more sustainable balance between supply and demand uncertainty remains high and staying on hold provides further time to assess the outlook. I think the critical difference between now and say 12 months ago or even six months ago is that interest rates are a lot higher. So we're now looking at a situation where monetary policy is tight Whereas if you go back in the past, um, a year ago, six months ago, you could argue it was still easy or neutral. So consequently, that gives them, I think, more flexibility to hold, which of course is what they're doing. Leaving rates on hold, I think, is consistent with the combination seen over the last month of softening full-time jobs growth, falling job vacancies, and increasing evidence in particular that consumer spending is flagging, with rising levels of mortgage stress, sharply falling real per-person retail sales. If you look at the retail sales figures that came out a week ago, they imply that once you allow for population growth and inflation, that retail sales have fallen about 4.5% per person from where they were a year ago, and that includes some services, spending on cafes and restaurants and so on. And of course, We saw last week the ABS reported that households are now starting to dip into their bank deposits. Of course, the Reserve Bank reiterated that recent data are consistent with inflation returning to target in late 2025, but we think it will probably be a little bit earlier. The RBA, of course, remains concerned that inflation is still too high. We've got sticky services inflation, the signs that wages growth is picking up, fuel prices have increased noticeably, which I'll come on to in a moment. And of course, the labour market remains tight at a time of very poor productivity levels. So as a result... 
I think the Reserve Bank probably considered once again raising interest rates, as it has done in the last few meetings before deciding to leave them on hold. And most importantly, it flagged that it retains its guidance that some further tightening of monetary policy, i.e. rate hikes, may be required to ensure that inflation returns to target in a reasonable time frame. And of course, it reiterated that that will all depend on the data and how that data unfolds, particularly in relation to the global economy household spending, inflation, and the labour markets. On balance, we think the Reserve Bank is continuing to give more weight to the downside risk to the economy flowing from all the rate hikes that we've seen. And it also reiterated its concern about the Chinese economy. It's just worth stressing that if you look at someone on a $600,000 mortgage, the rate hikes that we've seen, if they were fully passed through, would imply something like an extra $15,000 Seven hundred dollars a year in mortgage payments on that mortgage. If the borrower had managed to phone up the bank and get a discount or switch to another bank, maybe a discount of 05 percent, they'd still be paying an extra thirteen thousand three hundred per annum. Now that's going to be a big hit to household spending, and of course, many of those on fixed rates are now starting to experience that increase in one big jump. And so far, it's just worth stressing. A lot of people are saying, "Oh well, we've seen these transitions already from fixed rates to variable rates. The sky hasn't fallen." But just bear in mind, we're only about forty percent of the way through the transition from people with those those low 2% fixed rates that were taken out in the pandemic or its immediate aftermath. Still a fair way to go yet. And of course, the rise in mortgage rates is pushing debt servicing costs into record territory as a share of household disposable incomes. Now we can see that the near-term risk of another rate hike in Australia is still high. Particularly, with still high inflation, the risk that higher petrol prices will add to inflation expectations and signs of a pickup in wages growth. Economists seem to be split roughly 50-50 as to whether there will be another rate hike or not. And our assessment is that the risk is around 40% of another hike as opposed to leaving rates on hold before eventually cutting them. If new governor Michelle Bullock is to raise rates again, though, she is likely to wait to see the September quarter CPI, updated RBA forecasts, all of which will become available by the November meeting, and she may even wait to see the September quarter wages data, which will be released in mid-November, which could mean that she might wait to the December meeting. So that's certainly a risk. However, we would view another rate hike as a mistake, as the RBA has already done more than enough, in our view, to slow the economy in order to rebalance demand and supply and bring in inflation back to target. Of course, we all know the rate hikes impact the economy with a long lag. In the late 1980s, the Reserve Bank continuously raised interest rates through 1988 into 1989, and yet the economy remained strong. Unemployment kept falling. People were saying, well, the economy is resilient. It's going to hang in here. Nothing to worry about. And in fact, I recall Paul Keating saying something to the effect that uh, it's like uh, effervescent champagne in a champagne glass, so strong that it's overflowing the sides of the champagne glass. Of course, then we had the recession we had to have. So it takes a while for people to adjust their spending and then uh, for that adjustment in spending to show up as higher unemployment and weaker jobs. So there's a while to go yet before the pain starts to really show up. This time around, you could argue that the lagged impact of rate hikes on the economy has been greater than normal because many people came out of the pandemic with savings buffers. We had a reopening boost. People were happy to spend if you go back 18 months ago because they were so happy to be free again. Uh, We had more than normal borrowers locking in at 2% or so fixed mortgage rates. So those things probably had the effect of stretching out the lags, but those protections are now starting to wear off. In fact, we're seeing increasing evidence that rate hikes are biting with, as I mentioned earlier, real per person retail sales down 4.5% or so in a year ago. The ABS's household indicator actually contracting on where it was a year ago. Building approvals remain extremely weak. There's been a slowing in business investment plans, a slowing in GDP growth. It's still sort of okay, but it's well below trend. We're seeing 
rising levels of insolvencies, increasing evidence that the jobs market is slowing down. Now, of course, many might say, well, what about the rise in petrol prices? Surely that, that's going to add to inflation. Yes, it will directly add to inflation. Our rough estimate is that it will add about 0.3 percentage points to inflation in the September quarter. But just bear in mind that this is a very different situation to what occurred around March last year, say 18 months ago. Back then, prices for everything were going up and petrol was just feeding into the mix, if you like. And petrol prices had gone up a lot more. It wasn't just a strong quarterly rise. They'd been going up over the last prior year. They'd gone up something like 40, 45%. Also back then, I think people didn't like it. Nobody liked it. But of course, people were so happy to be out and about again as the lockdowns were lifted that they wore it and continued to spend. This time around, I think it's very different. Households are struggling under the impact of cost of living pressures, but more importantly, particularly those with a mortgage, given those mortgage rate increases. And our rough calculation is that the rise in petrol prices over the last couple of months has increased the household fuel bill in Australia, typical household fuel bill, by around $11 a week. That's $11 a week that a household won't have to spend elsewhere in the economy, and therefore I think it will act as a bit of a tax on spending, given the very different circumstances to what we had 18 months ago. So yes, it does pose some risk to inflation, but I think the more likely scenario is that when you look at the underlying measures, companies won't be able to pass on the cost increases and people will cut back their spending even further. Finally, it's just worth noting that global risks remain very high. We've got ongoing uncertainty about growth in China. And recently, we're seeing a big backup in bond yields that is putting pressure on share market valuations, as my podcast last week pointed out. Uh, We've already seen US shares, global shares and Australian shares fall 8 to 9% from their highs in July or thereabouts. So, And the risk is that that could go further because the gap between or the return premium that shares are offering relative to bonds is diminishing as bond yields continue to rise. Secondly, of course, in the US, we've seen increased political uncertainty. This is always a factor in the US. I think it's a fact of life that uh, investors have to face, that uh, there's there's major events in the US, government shutdowns, debt ceiling, debacles, uh, midterm elections and presidential elections. We seem to go from one to the other, um, always worries about the impact on the share market. Uh, Over the weekend, the weekend just passed, we breathed a sigh of relief when a we learned that a shutdown of the US government had been averted, but uh, that has led to the House Speaker McCarthy losing his job, leading to uncertainty as to the legislative process in the US until they elect a new Speaker. And of course, that is going to be difficult given the fractious nature of the Republicans. So a bit of political uncertainty in the US, but the point is that that rise in bond yields that we're seeing, particularly in the US, is a de facto monetary tightening. The Fed actually hasn't had to do anything except uh, talk about higher for longer interest rates, um, and yet bond yields are going up. And given that much borrowing in the US is at the long end, uh, it's a de facto monetary tightening, which unfortunately adds to the risk of US recession next year. So all of these issues must be feeding into the RBA's considerations, and I think argue to leave rates on hold, even though I can't rule out one more hike before this is all over. In fact, I think continuing to raise rates will only add to the already very high risk of unnecessarily knocking the Australian economy into recession. So while the risk of another rate hike in November or December remains high, as I said, at around 40%, our base case remains that rates have peaked and that the cash rate will be cut next year with the first cut coming around June. Now, we were thinking it would maybe be around February or March, um, but 
I think given the still lingering strength in the jobs market and the risks around wages that the Reserve Bank will probably wait a little bit longer. With former Governor Lowe having increased interest rates substantially, new Governor Michelle Bullock should get a much easier run of it in relation to interest rates. The risk, though, is that her main challenge will be trying to turn the economy back up again in the event of a hard landing or a recession. Now, just a couple of points on that. Of course, that might sound a bit gloomy hearing about the risk of recession. It is quite high. There's a few points just worth pointing out as to why I think if we do have a recession, it will be a relatively mild one. Yes, we've had imbalances in the form of inflation, and that's led to monetary tightening. But against that, the US, for example, doesn't have the sort of overinvestment that it saw prior to the tech wreck in technology, and nor does it have a massive overhang of homes. Um, in fact, in the US, but like Australia, there's a shortage of homes. So a lot of the imbalances that often precede deep recessions aren't there, which suggests that if we do have a recession, hopefully it should be a mild one. The other thing that gives us optimism is that when you look beneath the surface, the broad trend in inflation indicators is still down. Yes, I know there's issues with higher petrol prices, but if you look at other commodity prices, they're trending down. Uh, so I think the broad impetus when you look at lower freight costs, lower commodity prices, Prices generally beyond fuel, uh, easing uh, demand, all of those things point to an easing in inflation and ultimately will take pressure off central banks, albeit the risk of further uncertainty in the near term still remains high. Anyway, I hope that's been of some use. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.